日本史学習に最高にもってこいのサイトサムライアーカイブスポッドキャストへようこそ美しい自然にあふれてる縄文時代から波乱万丈な幕末まで全時代を網羅して日本史の隅から隅まで一緒に語り合いましょうでは早速日本史の世界へ Hey, welcome back to the Samurai Archives podcast. This is Chris, the webmaster and host of the Samurai Archives podcast. And with me today is Travis. Hello. Hey. And、uh, today we're going to do, I guess, an introduction to Kabuki. That is、uh, one of Travis's interests. Well, I think that most, a lot of people have heard of Kabuki and have some vague idea what it is. But most people, including most Japanese people, haven't actually seen it. So, yeah, so I thought maybe we would kind of. Help give some kind of in- introduction to what Kabuki is, and then if you ever get the chance, check it out, watch it yourself, and hopefully enjoy. Okay, I think that one of the first、uh, questions would probably be、uh, everyone has heard of Kabuki and they've heard of no, no plays and Kabuki plays. So I guess to kind of start off here, what, what is the difference between the two? And then I guess、uh, as, as a more bro- broad question, what is Kabuki and no? What, what,、uh, what exactly is it? Right. So, obviously, these are very broad questions, but,、um, but Kabuki and No are basically the two most prominent forms of Japanese traditional theater, right? Along with Bunraku, which is the puppet theater, and I guess Kyogen. Let's see where to start. So, No is the older、um, form. It was No sort of、uh, developed in the medieval period, in the Muromachi period, sort of 14th century, I guess, is when it really first emerged. And No is. At least by today, it has become very sort of traditionalized, very ritualized. No is much slower and much more kind of spiritually oriented. No is the one with the masks, if you wanted to start with that kind of basically. No tells relatively simple stories and it's, it's using, you know, very few actors, very little set dressing, very little props and No is much more about kind of the, the perfection of the artistry, the perfection of the performance itself and creating a mood. So in any case, I, I guess to kind of, you know, without going into super huge details about what no is, and it's hard to describe without visuals, basically no is the much more traditional form. It's a much more refined elite theater form, which in the Edo period, no would have been、uh, appreciated mostly by the samurai class. Right? Mostly by members of the shogunate, daimyo, etc. Whereas Kabuki,、um, even though it's considered tr- today a sort of a traditional, you know, a major traditional element of Japanese heritage,、um, at the time in the Edo period, Kabuki was popular theater. It was the Broadway or the action movies of the Edo period. And so what you might,、uh, what you might know of Kabuki, what you might recognize You know, as being kabuki is really bold makeup, white and red makeup, really colorful costumes. In contrast to no, kabuki has much fuller stories, much larger casts.、Um, it's sort of a, I'm tempted to say it's kind of like a full theater, theater form, but what does that really mean? Kabuki has costumes, props,、uh, you know, sets. Um, changing sets, different scenes. It tells a full story、um, over the course of sometimes many hours. And so, in, in that respect, it's kind of it's more focused on the plot 
and on the characters and on the, the spectacle of showing something that's fun and colorful and exciting um, rather than necessarily something that's more of a, a moral tale or, or a deeply conceptual. No, no, no can be much more conceptual. So with that in mind, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that no is an older form of Japanese theater. Is that right? Well, so no originated maybe at the very end of the 14th or very early 15th century. And it obviously evolved over the course of the rest of the Muromachi period. Um, and I guess probably the into the Edo period. But um, basically, no is, is sort of a Muromachi period art. And it, it's much more... Um, it's much more preserved or conser- – it, it's, it's a much more conservative art. Let me say that. Sorry. No is a much more conservative art than kabuki. The forms that you see performed today are more or less relatively accurate to the forms that no more or less has always been. I think that you know proper no scholars would would you know give all kinds of um, – uh, 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 that, you know that's not entirely true to say that it's exactly the same. Um, there, of course, was evolution and changes, but to keep it simple, no is is a very tr- conservative art. It sort of maintains the traditional forms from the Muromachi period, whereas kabuki originated in the Edo period, um, originated at the very beginning of the Edo period, and didn't really coalesce into anything resembling its modern form until maybe the 1740s. Um, with some more elements being added in like the 1820s, 1830s, and just it sort of continues to evolve, even though it's con- considered "quote unquote" traditional today, and and it certainly is um, in many respects. It it sort of continues to evolve within its own tradition. So did uh, kabuki evolve from no, or are they mutually exclusive? So yeah, Kabuki draws a lot from No. No is kind of the main theater tradition that they had to draw upon. But it, it sort of combines things from No and things from just kind of folk dances and things like that. To get into the history a little bit, Kabuki is generally said to have originated in, in 1603 with this woman named Izumo no Okuni. And nobody really knows exactly who she is. Some stories say that she was a, a shrine priestess, a miko. But maybe she wasn't. In any case, Izumo no Okuni and her friends had a, a sort of dance review, R-E-V-U-E, a sort of dance troupe that got together at Kawaramachi in the, on the riverbed, the side of the river in Kyoto, and performed dances. And this was kind of a very commoner culture, maybe even subculture kind of thing at the time. And it was basically just pretty men, pretty boys and, and girls, women, Dancing. There wasn't too much plot. There wasn't too much by way of characters. It was mostly just spectacle. Um, and and it, so it started off that way. And there were other theater kind of things going on at the same time. This women's kabuki, as it was called at the beginning, it sort of doubled the dancing kind of doubled as uh, advertisement for prostitution. So all of the dancers were also prostitutes and it was very closely connected. 1629, the shogunate banned women from appearing on stage um, for basically exactly that reason, because it was, I don't know, immoral or it was threatening the social uh, uh, order or something like this. And so women were banned from appearing on stage. And so young men started performing on stage. 
And it was basically just the same thing. The young men called Wakashu, Wakashu Kabuki, um, were also prostitutes. And so it, it didn't really solve the problem that the shogunate was concerned with in terms of propriety and morality. So in 1652, the shogunate banned young men from appearing on stage. And in fact, even today, well, today young men are back on stage, but even today women are not on stage in kabuki. That has remained the case throughout. Um, and so there, there's some separate troops today that do like women's kabuki, but it's kind of a separate thing. The main mainstream kabuki continues to be only men performing all the roles. And I guess that's actually one of the kind of stark features that most people um, approaching kabuki for the first time, you know, think is particularly interesting or particularly striking is the fact that all the roles, including, you know, all the women's roles are all played by men. Hmm. Is there like a Western counterpart to this uh, difference between no and kabuki? Like, say, for example, Greek tragedies or Shakespeare versus, I don't know, like modern Western plays? Is, is, is there some sort of way to put it into Western terms that would make sense? Yeah, I think that's that's actually not a bad comparison. I mean, I don't really know exactly how Greek theater looks like or, you know, kind of how it's performed. But I think Shakespeare would actually be very comp- – would be relatively comparable to Kabuki. When Shakespeare was alive, when Shakespeare was actually performing originally, it was, you know, very much a commoner art, and it was just kind of fun, and he had, you know, great costumes and great, you know, action – well, I'm not sure if he had action scenes, but, you know, it's kind of a commoner kind of thing. And whereas I, I suppose Greek tragedy – what's a good comparison? Yeah, I, you know, I have the impression that uh, the yeah. Greek the Greek plays were more like an, an empty stage with uh, – you know, they have the, I don't remember what they're called, almost like a, a choir of people behind them, yeah. but they don't actually... Yeah, actually, that is a pretty good comparison, because No also makes use of the of the chorus, right? Right, the um, chorus. They, you have a group of people sitting on the side who sing, who, who recite lines for the actor. Um, that happens in Kabuki a little bit, too, but but yeah, so No is, is much more sparse, right? And Greek, Greek, uh, Greek tragedy, especially if you think about sort of the the really deep philosophical meanings behind the Greek plays sometimes. Um, I think that that's not a bad comparison to know, actually. Um, I guess, I don't know, if we wanted to kind of go continue with the history just a little bit, right? 1652, as I was saying, um, young men were banned from the stage and it became, well, basically all it meant was that um, everybody who was performing had to shave their forelocks had to have that kind of, um, you know, shaved head look and therefore, quote unquote, you know, be an adult. They had to have genpuku. So it wasn't as if only old men were performing. It was young men too, but just not uh, sort of pre-genpuku, pre, uh, what's the word, coming of age ceremony boys. So anyway, since then it was all men um, from, from 1650. And then anyway, in the Genroka period, we had three major actors who came about. We can talk about them in more detail later, or you can look them up on the Samurai Wiki. Beginning with these three actors, we start to see a shift in Kabuki from being just kind of dances to having much more solid plots with characters, you know, um, real stories. Um, and we see the emergence of several different styles. Um, Ichikawa Danjiro I uh, is sort of the pioneer of what's called the Aragoto style, the rough style. And Sakata Tojiro the first is the pioneer of the Wagoto style, the sort of soft style. So these are two styles of acting that 
continue to be very uh, influential and very you know, sort of major themes in Kabuki. And then the other, the third person that I guess I'll mention at this point in Genroku, right around 1700, is Yoshizawa Ayame, who is the first major onnagata who sort of sets the patterns, sets the precedents for how men play women in Kabuki. And those people, those uh, male actors who play women are called onnagata. And generally in Kabuki, you have an actor will sort of specialize in a particular type of role and will stick to that. Um, so you have some actors who only play sort of the really tough hero roles and you have some actors who play the sort of soft romantic type roles and you have some people who play um, women, young women or old women, different kinds of roles. So that sort of started off in Genroku, but even then it was still very – it was really uh, only kind of setting the stage for what would later come. I think a lot of people – if you look at you know any general like history of the Edo period or history of Edo period culture, it'll say that Genroku is sort of the, the great uh, outflowing of Edo period culture, the great sort of uh, 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 high point, golden age. But in my personal opinion, uh, Genroku is really just setting the stage for what's going to come later. The Kabuki, Kabuki in the year 1700 did not look anything like Kabuki today. So, you know, it, it develops further. So anyway, after that, we get into a licensed theater system where the shogunate only allows three and then later four theaters to exist in official theaters to exist in Edo. Um, and so you have sort of a uh, – uh, it becomes much more – systematized in that you only have three families, three um, theaters who are doing, quote-unquote, the real kabuki, the official kabuki, and they're doing it in a particular way, and so it develops in a particular way. Um, and I guess another thing I should mention at this point is that kabuki, like a lot of Japanese arts, has has family lineages, and so the only people who perform kabuki are people who are either born into or adopted into these certain families so I don't want to get into it too much, but sort of the actor and sort of tracing family lines and being a fan of particular families or of particular actors is a, is a huge thing in Kabuki. And people will generally um, adopt the, the same roles as their father or adopted father or they'll sort of the same style or something like that. So there's a lot of family character, I guess for lack of a better term, in Kabuki. So you kind of talk about how it, it, it almost seems uh, like legislated by the uh, the Bakufu, what what who can you know who who can run an establishment or or only right. men can play roles or sort of thing. Did uh, did No have the same restrictions or was No already like that? So they were basically just keeping it in line with No. No has always been only men, also, but that was more. Yes, I'm not sure how that came about. Maybe it was just a matter of tradition. Um, and a matter of sort of the spiritual practices of the idea that women, if they step on the stage, it'll defile the stage it'll, it'll, or contaminate the stage space or something. Now is much more sp sort of spiritually and ritually, excuse me, oriented. So I think that that, um, I, don't, I think it's sort of a separate matter. No was never really associated with uh, any kind of prostitution or sort of public propriety problems. So I don't know. They, they are, Kabuki is certainly subject to a lot of there are a lot of, of, of rules that the shogunate puts into place during the Edo period, but um, and you know and that does certainly play a role in shaping kabuki. But I 
I'm not sure if the the idea of it being you know really restricted, like really legislated, is necessarily the best idea. I mean, it, it is there, and there's actually a great article by Donald Shively called Bakafu versus Kabuki, which you can find online, or um, you can find it in Samuel Leader's uh, Kabuki Reader. So um, that's a great article about exactly how they did things, and and Kabuki was subject to the same censorship as. Um, woodblock prints. So there were a lot of policies about um, you can't show contemporary figures, you can't tell stories about, you know, Ieyasu himself or Hideyoshi, you know, or whatever, contemporary figures at all. Um, and you can't officially, you couldn't tell contemporary stories at all. The, the, um, the 47 Ronin, when that incident happened, you know, they had to pretend that it took place in the Muromachi period, I think, or when is that place set? Anyway, but they set it in a, in a past period in order to sort of pretend that they were not talking about contemporary scandals because the shogunate, you know, very much frowned upon the theater, sort of fanning the flames of contemporary scandals and making them into, you know, greater scandals or, you know, sort of spreading the word that they happened or whatever. Um, and so, we, you know, in that respect, we do definitely see an aspect of uh, the sort of Legislation. Well, I was going to say there's an aspect of sort of the creation of past of, of present events as past events, um, and you start to see the the sort of fictionalization of the past. Yeah, sort of incorporating contemporary events into history and into legends, and 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 in the in the process of it, sort of making these legends that much bigger and that much fuller. Um, so kind of like kind of like Robin Hood, I guess, or King Arthur in the West. You know, if we had more story, and we do, I guess, have quite a few. You know, as you continue to tell more stories about Robin Hood or about Sherlock Holmes, it makes the story that much bigger, and it makes you know there's so many more different versions, and it makes the character so much more than they ever really were originally. And so Kabuki's sort of doing the same thing. Uh, it's expanding upon the tale of Genji or the tale of Heike or you know, the, the wars of, of the 1330s, the Taiheiki, you know, and it's expanding upon those and making these characters, adding to their legends. So that's definitely a major thing. And I'm trying to think what to describe it as. But yeah, basically they just, they have a lot of really full plots, unlike in, no kind of plucks bits from stories. They'll pluck a bit from the Genji or from the Heike and they'll expand upon, and, and they'll, just sort of replay that one bit and really focus on the emotions or, or uh, you know, what's going on in that one piece. So, for example, um, there's the no-play Atsumori, which was a, a favorite of Oda Nobunaga. And Atsumori, you know, if, I'm pretty sure I haven't read the Heike myself, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't really appear very much in the Heike. There's this one incident where he's fighting. He comes across um, Kumagai Naozane, and, you know, Kumagai thinks that Atsumori is so beautiful that he doesn't want to kill him. Um, and so you have sort of this one episode within the, you know, thousand-page Heike Monogatari. Um, and the no-play really just focuses in on that one moment and talks about Atsumori's feelings and Kumagai's feelings sort of in that one event. Whereas the Kabuki will sort of retell a much longer story of... of Kumagai's life after that, and um, you know, I, I haven't actually seen uh, the Battle of Ichinotani, the the Kabuki play of it, but 
it, it tells like a much fuller story with a lot more characters um, in it. So that's maybe another sort of hopefully that's another helpful example of the ways that No and Kabuki are different. Actually, I was wondering about uh, yeah. who wrote these plays. Who who were the writers of these plays? Were they people who, who got their own renown by being famous playwrights, like a, like a Shakespeare, or were these just sort of people who really not got nothing, uh, no public I don't yeah. know, notor- notoriety for it? Yeah, that's another. That's a, that's a really good question. Um, so in Kabuki, you have you do have playwrights. You have people like. Um, Namiki Shozo and Namiki Sosuke and um, who are some of the other really big name ones? Um, Mokuami, Kawatake Mokuami is definitely one of them. And um, anyway, so there are a handful of big name playwrights um, who would, you know, usually in a group, not by themselves, but usually in a group in conjunction with the the head of the theater, or the theater manager, and maybe members of the troupe would kind of work together to, to make a play. Um, and a lot of times, plays would also be derived from or adapted from the puppet theater, uh, the Bunraku theater, um, which had a much stronger. In Bunraku, you really had playwrights who just, like like Chikamatsu, who just you know wrote the play. So anyway, in Kabuki, you have some playwrights you know who are writing things and they're taking things from Bunraku, but whatever version of the play they may come up with. The actors as a group, maybe, maybe, maybe only the lead actors, maybe all the actors, I'm not really sure, um, really work together to kind of, uh, reshape the play. And every time that it's performed, it's performed slightly differently based on what the actors feel like doing. So it's, so yeah, that's actually a really good question about the way that Kabuki works. It's definitely different from, you know, most of what we assume about Western, kind of general Western theater traditions. And I think that, you know, whereas Western theater, we might focus on the play itself, I guess. If you'd have to say there's one thing that's like the big, the main thing is the play itself, the story, the characters, the writing, right? Whereas in Kabuki, they have great stories, um, and I personally have favorite stories, you know. But it, hypothetically, in theory, one of the, really the main thing in Kabuki is the actor. And so... The plays are more like a vehicle for for the actor to show off his stuff, show off his uh, his acting or his fighting skills or his vocal skills, and so in that respect, you know, a lot of the plays, you know, they'll 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 change a little bit each time they're they're performed to suit what the actors feel like doing, um, and there's a lot of improvisation as well. So I've actually seen plays where they. Incorporate, you know, and at the time they would incorporate like whatever the current joke is at that time, whatever the fad, funny joke is of that time, in jokes, whatever. Um, and I've seen plays today that incorporate, again, sort of like whatever the latest uh, gag, uh, the latest gagu from the TV shows is, you know. Or I saw one play once where they rep- they replaced the shogun's men, sort of the whatever the shogun's uh, police force, with. Um, New York, uh, with uh, NYPD uniforms. So things are constantly changing and uh, obviously within a very traditional framework, within, you know, a realm of keeping it resembling the, the, the same thing. But um, the individual jokes might be different, you know. Well, uh, you know, speaking about the, the actors themselves, uh, you know, one, one other thing that is 
definitely obvious is that the sort of the the movement and the speech is is really stylized. It's not like a a typical right. play where people are walking around acting like normal people, speaking as though they were in that situation. It's the movements are very stylized. The the mm-hmm. speech is stylized. Um, why don't you talk about that? Why why do they do that? Yeah. What what's the purpose behind that? Is that just the tradition, or or where did that come from? Yeah. So that's a, that, that is actually another you know very major, very obvious feature of Kabuki. If you go and see it, this is the first thing you'll notice. Obviously, is the voice and the movement. So. Voice and movement in Kabuki is very much based on the no. Um, if I had to just kind of describe it really simply, I think it would be hard to really say what how they're different, um, except to say that Kabuki is uh, a lot faster, more energetic. Um, in, in, in no, it might take 15 minutes for somebody to take like 10 steps. Um, whereas in Kabuki, they move at a more normal rate of speed. But it is it is very stylized. And and the vocal, uh, you know, nobody's. There's no singing in kabuki. This is not opera per se, um, right? Um, it's not. And it's not a musical, right? A musical theater form. So nobody's really singing at any point. But neither is anyone really speaking normally. Um, for the most part, sometimes they're speaking normally. For the most part, it's a certain kind of chanting, um, which, to my mind, really feels like it's. Just a matter of speaking dramatically and, you know, just emphasizing the drama and the performance aspects or something like that. I'm not really doing the proper aspect at the moment, <laughs> but um, but it's it just makes the whole thing feel a little bit stylized for lack of a better word. It kind of brings you into a world of fantasy, a world of sort of dramatized history, I guess. So. Yeah, I don't know. I just I, I take it as just being kind of more dramatic and, and just sort of more stylized. And it's hard to really describe it without having, you know, like an example, <laughs> visuals or anything like this. But um, but yeah, it is definitely based on the no and based on, um, yeah, it takes it from that. But it just kind of makes it more lively and gives more to it. Um, as for why they did it, I mean, I'm not sure that performing as normal people, like in the modern Western sense, I'm not sure if that wasn't that would have really entered in, into their. I don't know. It's hard to say because I don't. I don't want to deny these historical people, you know, to say that they they could never have conceived of it. You know, it was outside the realm of what they could have conceived of. They're, they're people, they're real people. I'm sure they could have conceived of anything that we could have conceived of. But, um, well, I, don't know, I, I just... wouldn't, uh, I, I wouldn't go so far as to draw any conclusions, but I was thinking along the lines of if you look at the, the Japanese painters of the time versus the Italian Renaissance painters, the Italian Renaissance painters were, were draw, painting like almost photographic representations of what they see, whereas the Japanese were always right. stylized. I don't know right. if that has. I don't know if there's any relation whatsoever, but that is something that that has yeah. occurred to me. Yeah, and that's actually a really good point. Also, I mean, I I don't know how it translates into the theater or whether it translates into the theater, but certainly within painting, there was very much an idea in China and Japan that painting fully realistically, painting illusionistically, to give the illusion that it's the real thing, um, was basically sort of a parlor trick, and Chinese and Japanese artists, painters. You know, thought that they, it, through stylizing it, they were really kind of representing the true essence, the true character 
of the thing that they're painting, as well as putting putting their own sort of essence into it. So, yeah, I'm not sure if Kabuki actors were thinking of that in particular, but it's certainly, now that you bring it up, it certainly does seem to be a similar kind of idea. Okay, and that's it for part one of our talk with Travis about Kabuki. And you know the drill. Head over to SamuraiPodcast.com to check out past episodes of our podcast and also to help support the podcast by either clicking through the Amazon link if you're going to shop on Amazon or check out the t-shirt shop or the bookstore, etc., etc. And if you like the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you head over to iTunes and give us a positive review. So that's it for this episode, and we will be back in about two weeks as always.